everyone welcome to another episode so today we have Jillian thank you so much Jillian for being with us thank you so much for having me Jillian Gallimore is the founder of the healthy feline which is a science-based and nutrition forward virtual consultancy that is aimed at helping cats and their humans live better together she believes that health begins with nutrition and focuses her work on diet and behavior not only that she employs force and fear-free training techniques while she is helping these guardians manage litter box issues, aggression issues, excessive vocalizations, destructive scratching, obsessive behaviors, obesity, and pickiness. A lot of the really common things that we hear in the cat world. Not only that, she has worked and volunteered in cat rescues for over a decade, and she has spent much of her career rehabilitating under-socialized cats around Toronto in Canada. Woo! Canadian. And she has been working with rescue groups and shelters. She has rehomed about a thousand cats, dogs, rabbits, and birds, and some reptiles. She lives with two cats, a greyhound, and a husband who are all the loves of her life. Thank you so much, Jillian, for being with us once again. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready and I'm excited. Awesome. In some of my previous episodes, I have talked about some things that cats are to eat, not to eat, but we only touched on it. And then some other ones about behavioral issues, but some things may or may not overlap, but everyone has a different take on it. Shall we go right into the questions? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So first thing, let's start with something that's a little bit broader. Now, when we buy cat food, what are some of the things that we should be looking for? Should we start with the most common ones, say kibbles? This is a really great question. I think it's very common for new owners or guardians who have had cats for decades. It's really hard. How do you choose? You go into a store and there's so many options. How do you choose? My number one with cats is moisture. That's what I prefer. If we can get moisture into our cats through their food, then we're doing good. So that could be wet food, that could be cooked food, that could be raw food. That is my ideal situation. Alternatively, if we wanted to go kibble, if that was a more convenient option for the guardian, that's good too. And we can put in water in other ways. I will say that kibble is only 10% moisture. That's very low, give or take 10%. Whereas with canned food or the cooked food or the raw food, it's more like 80% moisture. So it's really dehydrated that kibble. And we need water in order to process our food. So it's called hydrolysis. Our body, in order to even digest and use what we've been eating, needs water in order to do that. So if the water's not in the food, where is it coming from? So it's the body has to draw that water from itself. Therefore, cats are usually in a chronic state of dehydration. Mm. So that's why I try and stay away from kibble if I can. There's definitely a role for kibble, but definitely my preference is something moisture-based with that closer to the 80% moisture level. Yeah, actually here, a lot of people try to put water in the wet food, but then it's kind of hair or miss depending on how finicky the cats are because when the water reaches a certain level, then they just don't want to eat it anymore. You talked about kibbles and talked about wet food. I know there's some things that we have to pay attention in each of these, but how about let's do a general question that works for both of them which is food labeling. Is there something that we can pay attention to? Because 
frankly, there's a lot of things that we don't understand that we don't even know how to make sense of, not just in the pet food world, but in the human world. But of course, we've been used to food labeling a lot longer in the human world than it is in the cat world. Is there something that you can teach us cat parents? How do we make sense of all that mumble jumble? It's very confusing. Yeah, it is very confusing. In terms of brands and looking at the label, I know a very common tactic is to look for protein in the first three ingredients. Mm. And that has a lot of value in it. Mm. However, when you see words like meal or byproduct, that means that protein has been dehydrated so much that it's a meal. And that means most of your protein is going to be coming from that particular ingredient. So even if let's say soy meal is the fourth or fifth list in the ingredients, most of your protein is going to come from that depending on what the other ingredients are. So you have to look at the ingredient list as a whole. Mm. When you get farther down the list, those are only coming up in your food in very small portions. Right. So it gets a, a not as relevant. But mm. when you're looking at the top three, five, eight ingredients, if you're seeing the words meal and then attached to something that has protein in it, it's usually your highest source of protein. So cats are obligate carnivores. They need to get their proteins from animal sources. They actually also need to get most of their nutrients from animal sources. So when we're talking about, we'll use the example again of soy protein, <laughs> of soy meal, mm. uh, that's not an animal source. And when that particular food, most of the protein is coming from that particular ingredient, then we're going to run into some issues. We'll talk about it a little bit later on, but that's a big source of an allergy as well. The cat's body is not necessarily well-designed to digest something like that. So if you have something like, let's say your first ingredient is whole chicken. Awesome. Second ingredient is soy meal. Even though the first ingredient is chicken, which is great, it's not going to be your main source of protein because that's going to be that, 80, that, that high moisture content versus the meal, which is going to be very reduced down to its powder, basically. And that's hmm. going to be your main source of protein, not that whole chicken. Does that make sense? If I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I guess instinctively, we would think that if it's in the human world, I would think that the first ingredient would have the majority of the stuff or at least more than the second ingredient, correct? But in this case, it may not be, right? Let's say you have a cup of sugar and a cup of carrots. So you have the same amount. So they would be listed in the ingredient list very similarly. Let's say there's a little bit less carrots. So first it's sugar and then we have carrots and then we have other things. So the amount still more. So when you have that first ingredient, that's still going to be the most prevalent ingredient. But what sort of nutritional value is in a cup of sugar versus in a cup or slash a little bit less of a cup of carrots? You're going to get more out of your carrots. This is, of course, not a very good example for cats. <laughs> more right. of a great example for humans because we eat sugar, eat carrots and all of that. But I hope that illustrates how it could still be high up on the list, but not be as nutritionally dense and the most efficient way to get protein into our cats. I get it. Ah, I get it. In Hong Kong, you always see bread that is labeled as being nutritious and they call it wheat bread, but they don't call it whole wheat bread. But when you look at 
the ingredients, the first ingredient is white flour. And then the second ingredient is some sort of bran or some sort of wholemeal flour. But then I'm like, wait, no, the, obviously the fiber is not coming from the first ingredient. It's coming from the second. But then it tells you you're not getting that much fiber. So it's like that. It's in a way trying to let us know that it is healthier than it really is. Where in that example that you said, it seems like people are duped into thinking that the stuff were coming from the first ingredient, but there's nothing else that's offered in that first one. So you shift to the second one or the third one. Yeah, it's a really great point because a lot of the times this is where marketing comes in. So you mm. have this like ingredient, chicken, the first ingredient or chicken and salmon or whatnot. And then you actually read the ingredient list and there might be chicken on the first ingredient, but it's not going to be your it's not going to be making up the majority of that protein content, for example. Mm. I know I'm talking a lot about protein here. A lot of brands label their food a chicken and salmon, but then the salmon is so far down the list. So that this is where marketing plays a huge role <laughs> in bags, in, in, in labeling bags. Oh, definitely. So have to do our due diligence. Sometimes just have to use your common sense because the composition will give you some additional information as well. No matter how beautifully it's stated in the front, I don't know, the front of the package, but still have to make sure that everything adds up. Is, is that correct? Yeah. And this is a really great point in that. So what do we do with this information? So I look at a bag of food and I see meal. The concept of meal or byproducts, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's about your trust in the brand. Mm -hmm. uh, in the price, I find that price really does normally equal quality. So if we're really down in the basement levels, then we're probably not putting a lot of good nutrition into our cats. But honestly, the best source of feedback is your cat's litter box. So if your cat is pooping a lot, big, voluminous poops, odorous poops, then we have to start looking at nutrition. We have to start looking at the bag, that labeling to see, okay, maybe that is a big factor here. So let's try and find a different brand of food, perhaps if our cat is open to it, of course. So if we're looking at our food and the main protein source is a soy meal, for example, okay, maybe we should look for a brand that doesn't have that source as the main protein. Just as an example, every cat is different and how they react to a brand of food is just going to be an individual choice. And that's why it gets so complicated because I can't necessarily give you the magic wand, the this is what to do. It's so individual and cost accessibility. Like how do you, how can you get it? Is it widely available? All those other questions. So it really gets complicated. So I just kind of want to backtrack a little bit. Did you say about the huge volume in poop? What does that actually mean when say this cat was eating this type of food and they have these bulky, big volume poop? What does that mean? As opposed to- I'm glad you picked up on that. I am a firm believer in my cat's litter boxes being not smelly. <laughs> I don't want to be able to smell my cat's poop at all. That doesn't mean I'm not scooping twice a day or cleaning up the little rocks, none of that. But if I can smell my cat's poop, something nutritional is happening. So every cat poops a little bit different. So you might have a cat who poops twice a day and that's totally normal for them. You might have a cat who poops once every other day and their poops are perfect and they're mm. eating great. You know, that's normal for that cat. All of these questions are absolutely directed to your vet. Your vet's going to know what's normal. There's right. definitely a big range. But if you're finding that your cat is pooping a lot, let's say four to five to six, even times a day, 
and it is massive poop. So let's say you're, this is not right amounts, but it's a, it's an example. It's an analogy. You're feeding one cup of food and they're pooping out a cup of poop. What are they actually absorbing into their bodies? So it's not exactly one-to-one like that, but you have to start asking if they're pooping as much as they're eating, what is their body even taking up to make themselves, their beautiful fur, their teeth, their claws, you know, all that. What are they actually using? Uh, that's what I mean by volume. With odor, again, don't want to smell it. <laughs> no one <laughs> wants to smell their cat poops, right? So that is always the goal. I find that the higher we go in the nutrition, in high, good quality proteins, animal sourced ingredients, the better our cat's poops are. Mm. And therefore our lives do. (laughs) I actually see that. I was testing some food and I noticed that some do produce a lot more poop than the other ones, although I feed them the exact same amount. So now I'm going to think about what you just said. That is a very extreme, but very useful analogy. Thank you. I never put that into that perspective. You're right. If I eat a burger and I poop out a burger, then okay, then what did I just absorb myself? Probably nothing. Okay. Now moving on to the next question is it's also food related. A lot of people talk about this. What's your take on homemade cat food? Is it possible to make them nutritionally balanced? If so, I'm guessing my speculation is it's quite difficult because their requirements are quite different than that of us dogs in that formulation can get quite complex. Can you get a little bit into that just so that we have an idea or if anything or if anyone's thinking about it? Absolutely. Homemade food is very difficult. We all live very busy lives and to add in another layer of making your cat's food can be very difficult for a lot of people. Some people can do it and my hat's off to them. That's amazing. You have to be so careful with your ingredients. One of the biggest reasons why I do recommend not making your own food is because of something called scope and ingredient creep. So when you have your particular set of ingredients, let's say it's been beautifully formulated, it's to the nines, you're perfect. And then let's say you can't source one of the ingredients, so you have to replace it with something else. That will mess up the entire chemical composition, balancing out omegas and protein to carbs to fat. It'll mess it all up. It's that precise that you need to be. In a global world, we have so much access, the best access we've had to foods in our entire human history. But there are still going to be issues in accessing everything that we need. Not to mention, let's say you buy a bottle of something and then that manufacturer has to change it next year. For whatever reason, that's going to change your whole homemade diet as well. So you have to be so on top of things. So that's where ingredient creep comes in. And unfortunately, we're all human. You know, we can't get the brown rice. So we go for the white rice. And we're like, oh, what does that matter? It matters in the cat world. Absolutely. Uh, not to mention that when, we, when we're when we homemaking, we don't necessarily have the variety that I typically recommend for a fresh and whole food diet. So that's the main takeaway for homemade is that it's you have to be so careful. And once you get that ingredient list, that recipe made for you, you have to stick to it so diligently. It's the reality of our life, right? It's just, it's not possible. So I do generally recommend a commercial 
diet rather than a homemade diet. Agreed. And sorry, I'm just going to ask you, it's called a source for ingredient creep? Uh, yeah, it's like creep it's, as in C-R-E-E-P? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I thought I heard you wrong. Um, I was like, you, what? So you probably you might be familiar with it when you're talking about like project management, when you have your task assigned and then that task or even let's say a mission statement for a business. And then you completely go off the rails and you're just so far away from your mission. And that's called scope creep. So in the homemade cat world, it's called ingredient creep. So the ingredients are creeping oh. off to a different oh. place than where it needs to be. <laughs> I get it now. Wow. See, that's why I love these conversations is every time I learn something and I'm like, what did you just say? I'm like, I thought I heard you wrong. But then I asked you a second time, I'm like, no, I heard you. It's creep. Okay. I gotcha. Wow. So yeah, it's true. They even have a saying in that in Cantonese. It's called It means once you've made one decision, one bad decision, the whole thing collapsed. You just rigged the whole entire scale. It's just, it's like that, right? Because it's not like a chemistry lab that we're working in that you can isolate each of these sources of everything because each of these food ingredients, fortunately, in this case, unfortunately, it comes with a combination of all other things that come with that food itself. Once you change that, unfortunately, all the other stuff changes and you have to account for that. And given that I'm no food scientist, I, I don't mind cooking for my cats just for supplementation. But if I was to do it for the main meal, I'm not sure if I'm that confident to keep everything that steady. For me, it's, it's going to be quite hard. So I do agree with what you just said. Another thing that is related to cat's diet is how should we determine the ideal amount of food to feed a cat based on their age? What is it? Weight? Activity level? Sometimes breed? Do you know anything about that? Is there a general thing that we can simplify or just any reference that we should look into? Yeah, I would recommend getting a scale first mm. off to weigh your food. There have been a lot of issues with measuring cups. Like oh. there have been studies on how inaccurate a measuring cup is versus a scale. So get yourself a kitchen scale <laughs> and be that exact. Yeah. Yeah. It makes life so easy as well. So you have your cat's bowl on the scale and you put in the, to the gram, the right amount. And let's say you're trying to reduce their weight a little bit. You can no, down to the gram. It's really helpful to get that exact. Uh, sometimes we can feed twice the amount when we're using a measuring cup. So that's my number one tip for sure. Yeah. So highly recommend a kitchen scale. I've gotten mine for 20 Canadian dollars. So they're not very expensive at all. So mm. definitely an easy purchase for a lot of people. So when it comes to the amount, getting your vet to recommend an amount, if you're worried, absolutely. You can also look at the back of your cat's bag of food or can of food. Now take their recommendation with a grain of salt. No brand wants any of their cats to lose weight on their diet. It just doesn't look good. Like all brands want their cats who are eating their food to be nice and plump and beautiful and healthy. And all our cats are for sure. But sometimes they could be a little too plump, a little too chubby. So take your cat as an individual. If you find that they're a little bit on the chunkier side, then we have to readjust. 
And no cat is going to eat the exact same amount. It just doesn't work like that. They're all different. They're all individuals. I'm just going to digress for a second and talk about how do we assess our cat's body weight. But before you start, I'm guessing what you just said, it's more so for regular food as opposed to, I guess, also for diet food? Or do you think it should be followed more so for regular than diet? I guess diet food, they want our cats to lose weight, right? Yes. So in terms of the amount recommended on the bag do you mean if we're talking about a prescription diet it's been given to you by your vet and your vet should have told you the exact right. amount that you feed that's a part of a plan so let's mm. say you're one week into it versus six weeks into your diet plan those are going to be different amounts of food because as your cat loses weight they're going to be changing the amount that they need so that's really important in terms of a diet that you would get from your store or from mm. your pet store it's the same general rule where we're looking at the cat. We have to assess what the cat's gotcha. needs are. And I will say that cats should not be losing a lot of weight at one time. I usually aim for two pounds a month. Very slow. Very slow. Yeah. Okay. We don't want our cat to drastically drop weight. That's yeah. not fun. <laughs> so now going back to the weight, the cat's weight you were talking about, you were saying? Yeah. So really easy way to assess your cat's weight is to look at them from a bird's eye angle. So you're looking down on them and do they have a waist? So does their cute little hips dip in a little bit? And if they do, great. That's a very easy way to tell. Now, if they look more like a tootsie roll where they're kind of out at their waist and then they go into their little like tootsie roll ends at the head and the tail, then we're a little chonky. <laughs> and we'll, we should definitely book an appointment with our vet to see what we can do about that. If you take your hand, put it in a fist and rub your finger along the knuckles. And that's what your cat's ribs feel like. We're too skinny. If we have the flat of the hand and we run our hands over that fleshy part, and that's what our cat's ribs feel like, then we're a little chonky. And if we flip our hand over and rub our finger along the knuckles there, and that's what our cat's ribs look feel like, then we're perfect. So we want a little bit of give around the ribs, but we want, don't want too much give. We don't want too much of that fat. So that's a really, that's a more detailed analysis of your cat's body weight. And I'm just going to throw one little side into you, if you allow me to talk about muscle as well. Sure. So if our cat is losing muscle, get to your vet immediately. Even a 10% muscle loss is the red flag, like the, the alarm bells are going off. Hmm. So we definitely want a cat or a vet to be assessing our cat. And how do you assess muscle? A really easy way is if their forehead, that little, that cute little forehead there gets bony. So that's not too nice. And then another way is on the thigh, if it starts to dip in a little bit. So there's the like dip in. Not just, I'm going to grab the chonkiest cat in the house who is on a diet. She's been losing weight very slowly. If you were to rump your finger. Yeah. So she's probably nice and plump there. She's got some good cheeks. Like she's got some good cushion around her jaw. Yeah, she's good. Oh my gosh. She's, I don't know about this. She's like, did you just say I was fat? No, we're a work in progress. Just we more to love. All right. So you mentioned about the forehead and the cheeks. So that's the main, I guess, the fastest indicators to, to see if they're losing any muscle. So what does it feel like if they're losing muscle? Like, 
what the, should the texture feel like? Basically, it's as if you're touching the bone. So there's no none of that juicy muscle or, or tendons or anything like that. It's just as if you're like touching your shin bone or something like that. Like it's bony. <sighs> this is all a preamble to just get your pets to the vet for an assessment. Here's a little flag that might be waving. Let's just have a check, make sure everything's tip top shape. And it's just one of those signs, right? Because we see our cats every day. We don't yeah. necessarily see, you know, if they're feeling out of the weather or it's, it can be so gradual because cats are so good at hiding when they're not feeling mm. so hot. So some of these sort of, okay, my cat's looking a little, little bony or like, why can't I see every single vertebrae and their hips are sticking out? Let's, okay, let's get them to the vet. So it's just one of those flag things. Yeah. Sure. Wow. Sage advice. Thank you. The only one that I know before was checking for hydration is pinching the nape and see if it bounces back in time. But now I know other ones. Oh, that is so cool. Another thing is we talked a little bit about it is the prescription diet is, of course, those are given by the vet is for certain conditions. I would expect the same just generally for other stuff like diabetes or kidney, liver disease. It's probably not a good idea to do it ourselves. It's always good to follow the vet, right? Yes, absolutely. You want to go to the vet. You want to have that conversation with them. Where it gets a little tricky is, let's say your cat doesn't want to eat the kidney diet. They say no thank you to the diabetic management diet or the metabolic, and that's where it gets really tricky. And where we have to go back to the vet and ask them, what are our other options? Is it a different texture that we need? Is it more water, less water, temperature of the food, how it's being presented to the cat? There's so many potential avenues to question, and that's where we need to talk to your vet or nutritionist. I'm happy to always talk to anyone about those sorts of things. But when it comes to the ingredients of those special diets, absolutely, you want to go to a vet or even better, a vet nutritionist. And those exist too, and they're wonderful to have in your pocket. Oh, absolutely. Not something that I want to self-diagnose or just DIY. I would DIY a cat tree, but I would never DIY that. Another thing is something that I see a lot of people doing is table scraps. I know people do it with dogs and they start doing it with cats. Can you tell us maybe just some words of wisdom in terms of giving our cats table scraps? What's your view? What do you think? Yeah, it can really mess up with the balance of the food that we're feeding. So it can, let's say we're having some turkey dinner and we're giving some to our cat. That means that they're getting more of something that might mess up the balance of the other minerals and nutrients and vitamins that we are giving them into their food. That's number one. Number two, our food is usually spiced, high in fats, high in sodium. And these are high in salts. So these are these can lead to problems in our cats that are tenth of our size. So they're usually about 10 pounds. We're usually not 10 pounds. So it's it can it that all those ingredients are magnified in a cat of that size. So we need to be really careful about that. I'm not opposed to giving our cats treats at all. I think that's wonderful. If let's say you have a family member who just cannot not give our give their table scraps. You know, that's very common. You have a grandparent who really likes to spoil their grandcat. You know, what, whatever the situation is, I like to give them a little baggie of approved treats in the amount that is approved by me. And that's what they can give the cat. So that it's, you've given their 
the approval of this baggie of treats. And then that's what the grandparent or whomever can give. So that that's sort of how I get around that. That's so true. Because a lot of times we're thinking about it from the human perspective. It's like, yeah, it's just that little bit. I'm like, well, you're 100 pounds, but then this little guy here is like five. So if anything, it's 20 times, right? I never, because I, I don't feed my cats table scars, but it is true. Like I never thought about it in that way. Now it makes me think. When I drop my food, I have to be extra, extra careful that they don't pick it up because what I thought maybe a crumb can probably mean the whole world to them. We touched about this earlier. It's about hydration, right? When you said it's better, more preferable to give wet food because of the hydration factor. And whereas kibbles, generally, it's about 10% or less of hydration. Now, for me, I try to sneakishly put water in their wet food. Is there any other tips or any ways that we can sneakishly get our cats to have more hydration in their food or maybe get them to even drink more water overall? Whatever we can do to just get their hydration to go up. Do you have any pro tips on that one? Yeah, it's really tough. Cats are comes from a desert species, right? They're, they have a very low thirst drive. They really do not want to drink. They wait till they're, I think the number is 8% dehydrated before they even will think about drinking. So it's very low. With getting water into their food, that's amazing. Having them eat while being hydrated is ideal, absolutely. Adding water to your kibble, adding water to your wet food, getting that 80% moisture content diet like in wet food and cooked food and raw food. Alternatively, a water fountain is really nice that generates a constant flow and stream. And so it's less likely in the cat's mind to be contaminated. So they're more likely to drink it. Not all cats, of course, but it's worth a shot. They're not too expensive. So that might be a really interesting thing to try out. And honestly, if your cat is drinking from your water glass, just leave your water glasses out. Why not? <laughs> Lean into what your cat is saying that it wants. And let's say it, it's drinking from your water glass and you have a couple around the house for your cat. <laughs> a lot of times it's cats, we refresh the water more, most often in our own than in their own bowls. Sometimes it's because it's in a different place. And if we're, especially if we're talking about a multi-cat household, access to something like water plays a big role in whether they're actually drinking. Uh, so there's a lot of different factors there, but if we lean into what they're already doing and making more or have them have more options in that regard, it can be really helpful. Yeah, I Completely agree. I have, you have no idea how many times I went back and forth between fountain containers. As you mentioned, all cats are different. We, everybody has a different formula, but I guess to try it, it doesn't hurt to try all the different stuff. I made a really long video before on how to clean up the water fountain because a lot of people just do a surface cleaning without breaking the pump open just to find mildew inside. And that was really yucky. And yes, for us, I learned that just having different containers of different shapes and sizes, of different texture, material, whatever positions in the house, it got them to drink water more. The more I put out, the more, and the more I replenish, you're completely right. The more I replenish, the more they drink. And another thing is going back to food just a little bit. When you talked about the different food, commercial, kibbles, homemade, raw, what was it? What are some of the common food allergens for cats. That is one of the number one things talked about in my community or even just in, in Hong Kong or even in Canada is that people are trying to find out what is it that's a common allergen and what does it do to their cat and how can they find out? 
Yeah. Allergies is really tough. It's a, it can be a long, hard journey yeah. for cat guardians. I, my heart goes out to all the food allergy cats out there. It really comes down to the individual cat. So you can definitely have a cat who's allergic to chicken or beef or soy. I mentioned soy earlier. There's so many different potential allergens out there. And the question comes, becomes, is it an allergy or is it an intolerance? So a lot of times cats just, they aren't able to digest at plant sourced proteins. And so they're just not good at it. Their body isn't good at it. It's just how they were built as obligate carnivores. So sometimes food allergies can just be their bodies rejecting, being like, I can't deal with this. So <gasps> then you have diarrhea or then you have vomiting or you have rashes. You have all of the fun stuff that comes out in allergies. So it could be just a cat's body saying, I can't deal with this. I need something that my body can deal with. And, it, and that answering that question is so difficult. So the... Yeah, the, in terms of common, like I, I've worked with cats who've had those chicken allergies, who've had those beef allergies, it's it, salmon allergies, it's, it can be anything. And it really comes down to the health of your cat's gut. If you're okay with me getting into a little bit in the weeds <laughs> with gut health, we can yeah. talk a little bit about that if you're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because they, they started talking about that in the last, what, the last 10 years in the human world, the microbiomes. We don't really talk that much about it if you were to have this conversation like a decade ago. So yes, please do. Gut health. Please do tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Gut health. It's There's a lot of research in terms of dogs and humans, not unfortunately with cats. So I have to make that disclaimer first. But what I can say is that generally, if your gut health is compromised, you're going to have symptoms. So what I mean by compromised, your gut lining has all these cells that make up the gut lining that are tightly packed together. They're called tight junctions. Okay. And when they are inflamed, those tight junctions start to separate, which means that your gut lining doesn't have that seal anymore. Because really your gut, your stomach, your esophagus, all that is, is the outside world, right? It's not yet in your body. It hasn't perfect. passed through that line yet. So if we don't have that perfect seal, then bad things can get in to our body. And that's when our body has that response of rashes and vomiting and diarrhea and, you know, all that, all of those symptoms that we classically see with the food allergy. So we need to protect that gut lining. And how we do that is feed appropriate food for our animals, for our cats. We maybe we add in a probiotic to support our gut. Now, I will say, again, not a lot of evidence for cat-based probiotics. We have to protect the gut. The major thing is having an anti-inflammatory diet. So what does that mean? A lot of times that is we're adding in fish oils. So omega-3s are an anti-inflammatory. Mm. A lot of our food is full of the other omega, which is omega-6, which is a pro-inflammatory. Unfortunately, I'm going to pick on chicken for a little bit here. Chicken is usually high fat, a high fat animal. It's just how we humans have raised them to become our livestock, an unfortunate consequence of what we've done to them. And that means they are high in omega-6, so that pro-inflammatory omega. So if we're feeding our animals with a high a pro-inflammatory food, they're going to have that inflamed response. So in order to balance that out, we need the omega-3s, which are an anti-inflammatory. 
So it's a very brief explanation. We can absolutely get into it more if you want. But really, we're looking for food that calms the body down, that is, that the body is able to digest and is balancing out these pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory omegas. That's very interesting. That's a good direction to be looking at. So definitely something to look into in terms of gut microbiome, because as I said, it's something that's only been pretty much talked about in the last decade or so for just regular people, but definitely do look into it because I think one of my cats, this guy, he was abandoned from his previous parent and they got rid of him because he was having really bad diarrhea. I think it was breed and just health condition specific. And he was literally just like the fountains at the Bellagio. So that's what his poop looked like. And they got rid of him at 13 months, blink of an eye. And it was the gut microbiome that saved him. We found the right probiotic and that watery poop went away within a week. Even steroids, even antibiotics didn't do the job. But when we found the right kind of GI biome, it just worked like magic. We went through eight or nine brands and I was like, oh, but as soon as the right one hit, we're like, so it's good as new now. So I completely agree. Do look into it. And it doesn't hurt. When was the last time somebody suffered from having some sort of probiotics immensely? And unless they have a like a special condition. But for the most part, I don't think it's something that really kills us. At the most, it would be a waste of money and a yeah. waste of time. That's an, an important factor. Absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes you just got to try things. And that's why it's such a struggle, why it's such a journey when you have these issues. And it's I, that's my heart goes out to all of the allergy cats out there. It's but really don't give up. We are the living proof that this stuff could be fixed. It, can it be... An easy journey? Yes. But can it be fixed? I'm guessing eventually yes, but it's everyone's different. But for us, we eventually found the solution. And I know earlier you talked about commercial diets, you talked about homemade, and you kind of touched on raw. Now, this is going to be the last question that I have for you in the food department is what is your take for raw diet when it comes to cats? What do you think are some of the pros and cons so that everyone can make their own decisions if they're thinking about trying or switching to a raw diet. I really do like a raw diet, a commercial raw diet for cats. As we probably all know that they are obligate carnivores, they do need their nutrition from animal sources. And that's where a raw food diet comes in handy. So we've talked about gut health already. So a lot of times these raw food diets, because they're processed in such a minimal amount, you're getting the good bacteria. You're getting bad bacteria as well because we're living in a world, right? In our air, we have good and bad and medium and neutral bacteria all around us. Right. The issue with a sterile food like potentially a kibble brand is it doesn't have that good bacteria. So when we have a compromised gut, we're not introducing that good bacteria, we sometimes have problems. So that's a, another really great reason to go with raw food. It's not for everyone and it's mm -hmm. not for every cat. It's one of those things that you have to make sure that it's right for you. A lot of people are worried about sanitation mm -hmm. and keeping everything clean. That's one of the main reasons that I hear why people wouldn't go for raw food. So there's a lot of logistics that can solve those problems. One, if you're a household who has meat, you treat it as if you're cooking meat for yourself. So you're washing all services, your hands, every bowl after every meal, you're not letting the food sit. So common sense practices. Mm. 
in terms of whether your cat can lick your face after they've eaten. I mean, I wouldn't let my cat lick my face if they've just eaten kibble or anything really. So that's my preference, not something that I would let them do regardless. And then once they've groomed themselves a little bit, then sure, Hmm. (laughs) lick my face if you want. (laughs) That's fine. It's more common sense in terms of sanitation. When it comes to the food and it being safe for your cat, that is where you want to do your due diligence in terms of selecting a brand that you're comfortable with. So in Canada and the States, we have something called HACCP, H-A-C-C-P, and that comes from the human food industry where they're testing for parasites, they're testing for bacteria, they're doing all of this really great third-party healthy practice, and that's the sort of brands that I look for in a raw food diet. I like when protein to fat ratio is about two to one. There are other sort of things I look for in terms of choosing a brand, but definitely safe practices in terms of how they're making the food, how they're storing the food, how they're delivering the food. That's all high up on my list. So that's definitely an important part of it. In terms of other benefits, in terms of the health of your cat, healthy coat, healthy skin, any sort of goopy eyes goes away. Any sort of anal gland issues goes away. Digestive issues. They start to really enjoy their food more. So you might get a bit more of food obsession. So they might be interested in your own food a little bit more, which is very interesting. I would love to do a research project on, is it food obsession or have we unlocked the taste buds of cats by feeding them a raw food diet? I would love to do a study on that. So there's a lot of healthy benefits. Uh, In terms of teeth health as well, the food doesn't stick in the mouth. It Mm -hmm. goes right down the gullet, but doesn't stick in the gums, creating a food for bacteria in your gum line. So you're Mm -hmm. less likely to have dental issues. Now, there's some other sort of caveats with that. We do still want to be doing all of our teeth brushing if we can and tooth health and all of that. But one of the things that can be really beneficial is that it goes straight down the gullet doesn't sit in the mouth, creating that source of food for the bacteria. So I I love raw food for cats. I really do. There is always a place for cooked diets and kibble and canned and everything. And I think I, at this point, I'm a broken record. Every cat is individual. Every household is individual. You Mm -hmm. have to do what's right for yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you were in the market or if you're kind of like, oh, maybe I'll dip my toes into raw food, how I would start that transition is I would get my cat on wet food first, and then I would start trying raw. The textures are very similar. Hmm. So with a cat, getting them onto raw from a kibble diet can be a little bit more challenging. And actually, that's something that I can help with to making that transition over into a different food. Okay. There's a lot of talk on, on raw food in the recent years. Lots of pros and cons. And I think you talked about a lot of the pros. A few cons that I can think of, given the pros, is especially in Hong Kong, our summers get really hot. Sometimes it's 37 or 39 degrees at the hottest. Even if, from my experience, even if I found one that I think the composition and the brand and everything is good, for me, the biggest concern is the food handling, kind of going back to the food safety 101 you were talking about, when it's in transport, because I can't guarantee that the truck drivers or the people that's handling it between the different parties are so diligent about it to keep it in the freezer the whole time. Sometimes they get left in the sidewalk for a while. I remember times that I got raw barf meal and the first, I think, almost one centimeter of that sealed package was defrosted. 
And I was like, oh my gosh. So it, it scares me. I guess it's less of a problem in some countries when it's not hot like that. But that was the first thing that came to mind. And I guess second is cost because for here in Hong Kong, raw food can be quite expensive. Is that the same where you are in Canada? Uh, so we could feed a cat. Let's generally, a cat gets about a quarter pound a day. Again, that's probably a little too much for most cats. I have costed it out to about $2 a day. Ooh. And that is cheaper than a canned diet here in Canada, where you're probably spending about 4 to $5 a day. Mm. So there is a way to do it cost-effective. Mm. Really, near bulk you buy, the better. But then you're talking about freezer space as well. So okay. there, there's oh, definitely cool. some things you'll have to think, one has to think about mm. when they're buying in bulk. Yeah, but you can really get your cloths down if you do that. If there is a great brand of food that does dog food that has those big like two pound patties and four pound tins and whatever, not tins, but packages, then you can really get your cost down in that way. You're still feeding a great diet. Wow. In terms of your your point with delivering food, if I found my raw food that defrosted, I would complain to the company immediately. That is awful <laughs> i would yeah. not beat that it scares really me scary. that was the my biggest yeah. hesitation when we tried raw food and i was like oh geez and of course i guess our weather here has to do with it because come on summer with 37 to 39 celsius that's pretty darn hot so i guess everybody just have to depending on where you are depending on what companies you work with you just have to pick the best of hopefully the best of both worlds if that exists yeah so that's all the questions that I have for you in terms of the food department. However, we do have a second part to this, which we talked about in the beginning, is the behavior, there goes my cat flying, is about the behavioral aspect of things. So we'll invite you back for the second part where we're going to talk about all things cat behavior related. So we'll see you in the second episode. Yes, see you there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you then. So that is... Julian Gallimore, and this is me, Mella Cat. We'll see you in the next episode. Later. 